Welcome to the Jackets Online Podcast. I'm joined by Russell Thompson, our recruiting writer on Jackets Online. I'm Kelly Quinlan. I'm your host. And these are weird times, but uh, it seemed like a good time for to drop the pod. Some interesting news on Thursday, the NCAA announcing um, that they're going to allow some virtual coaching basically across all of the sports, uh, which makes some sense. A little bit harder <laughs> for, say, track and field than, than football or, uh, I guess, even baseball would be hard now that I think about it. What do you think, Russell? Yeah, I would I would agree. I think that it was uh, obviously more so meant for the, like, mass team sports, like the team sports that require several players and, you know, football, um, basketball to an extent. But then, like you said, when you get into baseball and stuff, that's where it gets to be kind of kind of difficult. I mean, you can – maybe watch some film with them or, or do something like that. But it's really hard to, you know, practice the swing in front of a coach and, and, and diagnose problems or, you know, show strengths and stuff like that. But in terms of football, I think it's a, a really good thing. And I think it'll help both the, the early enrollees and it'll also help, you know, the players who may have been changing positions this spring be able to um, continue to build the relationships with the, the coaches with their new positions as well as the uh, you know the players with any position. Yeah, no, I from on the basketball end of things, I talked to Josh Pastner about this a couple of days ago. Interested in a casual conversation about kind of what and his you know he it's hard on guys like that that are used to grinding. They're used to getting their one on one time, and they were hoping for something. This is obviously tough for for like a sport like basketball or baseball. Um, you can't, I mean, you can't simulate pitching in baseball. You can hit off a tee, but maybe if you have someone in your family could throw to you. But about a basketball, you're at the mercy of where you have a court access, right? And everything's closed down. So unless you live in an apartment that has a quarter, you know, one nearby, there's not really a lot to do. I live in a neighborhood that actually has a court in it. And I've seen some people kind of drive in and play on the court and then leave um, who probably don't live in the neighborhood. Um, just to try to get their their games in. So that's been kind of interesting in all of this as well. Yeah, that's a that's a really good resource for you know those kids to find that, especially um, before the the police do or before somebody does who you know may may call and complain. Yeah, it's uh it's been pretty funny because uh, it's a fairly nice court. So like I think kids like playing on or whatever. I just play in my front of my house with my son. But we were talking about this before the podcast starts. But like. You know, I'm lucky that I have a basketball goal and my son has those things and, I have, you know, we can play baseball or whatever outside. Um, if you live in an apartment, it's a lot different, if you, especially if you don't have, like, a common area or, like a, a, like, a greenway or something near there or playgrounds or something that are open. I, I Like, I can't even imagine what they're going through. So that's sort of the rub that all this gets into. And, you know, we had a, a thing on the site um, this week about how someone had called the cops on one of the tech players because they had um, ventured out to their old high school to, to try to work out basically on the field just to run around and people freaked out and called the cops on them. So it just kind of goes to show, goes to show the links that which these kids are having to try to, to, to compete. Uh, to me, the, the hardest hit ones are like things like baseball, softball, and uh, basketball that are repetition-based sports, even more so than football. Like the muscle memory of football, I think, you know, you're not going to forget how to run a route or whatever. That's not really going anywhere. But I think a pitch is hard and shooting a three and all of those things. It's going to be interesting interesting to see kind of as all of this plays out, how much this impacts sports and the quality of sports uh, for on the non-professional level. Like a most professional basketball players on a high level, they have courts in their houses or like in their property or whatever. They're still shooting the ball. Like, but if you're, you know, Jose Alvarado and maybe you live in an apartment or something, you might not have access to that stuff. Or, and all the kids have been kicked off campus and back, some are back home. So like the ones that weren't living off campus to begin with, who knows what their situation is right now too and their access to, the things to work out with and, and, you know, other than the camp brothers on the football team, his dad's a personal trainer. I'm not sure a lot of the guys have access to, to the stuff they probably would need to, to stay in shape. 
Yeah, I know for a while there were a couple, you know, little like training facilities and like I think it's called the lab in Atlanta where uh, kids are still training. Um, but I, I'm pretty sure that, that kind of got either shut down or limited significantly in terms of the amount of people who could be there at a time. Um, you know, I still see Jeff Sims throwing all the time on Instagram, and I think James Graham is too. Um, it's just they're still able to get their reps in, but you know, they're also kind of risking it at the same time. Yeah, and that's a tough situation to put these kids in too. Like we're, you know, many of them have aspirations, or they just love competing, or it gives them something to do, right? Like a lot of kids are bored right now, so it's it's just a difficult spot to put all of them in, and it, it's tough because. You wonder how much things are going to hurt if they try to start back up in July. Is how much rust are they going to have to knock off these kids? And how in shape are they going to be? Are we going to see more injuries because of the lack of training or less? Or how does all that work, right? And are we going to see kid? I'm, yeah, I'm, I'm totally expecting at some point to see a kid get hurt from some sort of independent workout that they cooked up um, for themselves to, to try and stay in shape or whatever. You know what I mean? Like. 100%. Uh, they're trying to make TikTok, yeah, they're trying to make a TikTok video or whatever, some dumb workout thing they worked up, and they're, like, walking up a staircase uh, stairwell or something, I mean, a, um, a banister or something, and, you know, fall or whatever it is. Like, there's going to be something. And uh, I, it's just it, – this sucks. Like, let's just be honest. Like, right now what's going on sucks. And – None of us are excited about it. Um, you know, both Russell and I are in situations with uh, babies at home, so that keeps you pretty busy uh, in and of itself along with trying to work. But I imagine a lot of people are going to be going nuts. Like, if I was single in an apartment, I would be climbing the walls right now. So I imagine these kids are having a tough time, like, especially if you're extroverted. Like, I can't even imagine. My my nine year old luckily has a phone, talks to his friends all day. Like when he's not doing schoolwork, but if it weren't for that and video games, he'd probably be going nuts too. Yeah, I, I agree 100. percent I think that it's uh, like you said, it's an unprecedented time, and and you know, us both having babies about a month apart, it definitely isn't exactly the best setup. But at the same time, you know, we kind of cherish those the little extra moments that we get. Yeah, I mean, so it's sort of like a quasi-paternity leave in some ways because um, our days are not – like right now, you and I would be doing camps and all kinds of stuff and um, getting ready for summer camp season, which is nuts. And none of that's probably on the horizon anytime soon. I think that whole thing's been wiped out by all of this, like the idea of a summer camp where you go to earn your offer. And there's a lot of guys on the tech team that did that the hard way, like came to camp and there's a lot of guys we've signed um, in, this, in this 2020 class that came, they came to seven on sevens or camps um, like Coots, the offensive lineman, he came up and kind of had to earn his way. Um, there were quite a few kids that kind of went through that route. So it's tough. I mean, there's going to be kids like that that end up falling through the cracks and when this is all said and done. Yeah, I agreed 100%. I think that's the uh, that's the thing that really hurt the kids, the ones that, you know, they were going to go out and see this spring, even the ones that they'd already told, you know, they were going to go out and see this spring. Um, but still being able to, to go in on, on Zoom and talk to them, talk to the coaches. Um, I'm not – I don't think you can sit and watch a kid throw on Zoom. But, I mean, there, there's got to be a way for these kids who would have at one point had these opportunities from Power 5 schools to be able to still, you know, have their moments. Um, I got I was talking to a kid yesterday from Florida, kind of blew up a little bit during the, the camp cycle that there was before things got shut down, but he wanted to um, participate in the Rivals camp, and he had gotten an invitation to the, the Charlotte camp and was starting to pick up Power 5 offers. And once everything kind of slowed down in terms of, you know, spring practices stopped and then really everything shut down, his recruitment kind of slowed down and the power five schools that were once, you know, showing heavy interest and talking about how they were looking forward to seeing them in the spring. Uh, those, those conversations kind of slowed down and even came to a, a halt. And, and that's been really tough for him and, and probably for his family to, to, to face and to deal with because any other cycle and 
you know, you're not doing that. Yeah, it's tough. I mean, um, I think it'll be interesting to see what kind of transpires here over the the next couple months. I think it benefits a lot of – it benefits, quite frankly, even schools like Georgia Tech that are going to get some kids that can't or haven't been able to take visits that maybe would have ended up at a, a school out of state that are kind of feeling now and seeing, like, the importance of being near your family and that kind of thing. And I think uh, if you're Georgia Southern or if you're um, – you know, even like a, a Florida A&M or something like a school that's in a that's maybe an FCS, you may end up getting kids that were P5 kids that or or borderline FBS kids that you wouldn't get normally because they haven't been able to go out and camp in our offers and catch people's eyes. And film's only so much, right? Film doesn't show how much you've changed from year to year. And schools aim to try to fill up, right, by August. And it's going to be interesting to see what that clock looks like now because um, it's slowed down. Like if you look at the pace at where the commits are right now versus even last year, I bet it's slowed down a little bit. And I think you will not see, you know, most classes are pretty well put together by August, right? Um, You have probably 15 commits by August, right, for most schools. I don't know that you're going to see that in the cycle. I think it's going to be a little bit slower as as these kids are just unable to take visits all, all the way around. Yeah, that's that's very true. And and induced panic on the uh, JOL message board. I can hear them panicking now as they hear this. <laughs> um, yeah, it's pretty funny. Like I, the way I kind of uh, equate it is like it's you know a little bit of a momentum killer, right? Like Jeff Collins had a lot of momentum uh, going on right now with his program and what they were doing and getting kids to visit and getting them excited about the program. And for the out-of-state kids, like their quarterback position in particular in this class, right, it's probably not going to be an in-state quarterback to end up signing. How does that work in this day and age? Because really there's only been one kid that's um, that's visited, and I don't know that they're in the best position for that kid in terms of the ones they've offered that are active right now that are probably in play. So what, how does that work out, right? Like how do you, you know, the three of the four main quarterback offers are Texas, the other one's in California right now. Like, well, <laughs> that, that's tough, man. Like how do you spell that right now? Like everything that's going on and the idea that it may go on for a little bit of time too, like that's the, the other piece of all this. Like we don't know. Things may get back to a form of normal, but it could be two years before things are like totally back to normal. So our kids are going to be a little more gun shy about flying across the country and being away from their families and, or being 12 hours by car away from their family or more um, in some cases. So it, it's going to be, there's going to be this trickling effect throughout recruiting right now. And it'll be interesting to see how, to me, the schools that hurts the most, Russell are like the Nebraska, the Iowa state. The, the, they're not going to be able to get kids to visit when the weather doesn't suck, which is what they like to do now. They take their official visits early or in early fall and knock them out. That may not be even on the table. And so what do those schools do? Because there's not a ton of great athletes in their recruiting. Nebraska has, like, no recruiting area. Like, there's a couple of kids, like, within, you know, two-hour circle of that place. Or Iowa State or, you know, like – they go down to Florida, they go to Georgia to get their speed guys, they go to California. Like, what are those kids going to do in this whole recruiting thing? It's going to be really interesting to see if it restructures things a little bit. Yeah, for, for sure. I think that, um, you know, going back quickly to your uh, your quarterback statement about, you know, them not being able to get on campus, luckily for them, Caden um, Salter took that massive trip where he went to, I think, every school he was, ever had an offer from. And like Basically, wonder, yeah, all yeah. in, like, February. Yeah, he, had all yeah, he went and saw them all. And uh, he saw Georgia Tech, you know, met with the coaches and, and, and did everything that, you know, he would do normally on, like, an unofficial, like, a junior day visit. But he did it just in the just in the middle of the week. And um, being able to do that for him was big. And then um, Shaver Sanders being able to be on campus last year was, was good for him. And that was when he actually picked up the offer originally. And then things kind of heated back up on uh, the past couple months with him. But, yeah, you're talking like Peary. Peary can't get on campus right now. 
and you know he's took, he's adding offers and, and his recruitment is still developing even though he was close to narrowing things down pretty quickly but now he really doesn't have the ability to do so um and then the the new offer Tyron Drones from Shadow Creek I'm still still doing some, some background information and trying to learn more about him and kind of where his recruitment's at but you know his offer list is impressive it's just a matter of you know so many of these kids not not just the quarterback all over the, the football field right now have all these offers but a lot of schools are being gun shy about taking commitments and then you've got the other schools who are like if you want to play for the school you're going to commit today if you don't commit today like if you wake up in the morning and want to commit you can't do it and and that that mindset that these coaches at these other schools some schools are doing um you know i call it squeezing everybody calls it squeezing it works to an extent but if you do it to the wrong person or if you drop that person that you squeeze it gets kind of it can get kind of ugly pretty quick well for sure that's sort of the the weird thing here because it's going to force a lot of schools to be better about their evaluation or trust their evaluations and and cut kids now before they start cutting down. Like, you know, you've done a good job of kind of paring down some of the early offers that Georgia Tech made that maybe they've not been as excited about as those kids have developed and they've fallen off the radar or maybe haven't shown as much interest as they would like. And they cut those guys loose, right? you got to just focus on who you can get, who's in play, <clears throat> who realistically is interested in you and who you're realistically interested in. Like, you don't want – a bunch of guys that are like, eh, you know, this corner, he's decent, but he's like, you know, a C-level guy. Don't offer the C-level guy right now. You can offer the A or B-level guy, but the C-level guy is what's going to get you in trouble because if a couple of those start saying yes and they're not what you thought they were, you're going to be in a world of hurt. Especially if they are playing the state of Georgia. Yes, because they'll be harder to dump them, yeah. Yeah, it's real hard to do. Something so, that you want to avoid at all costs, especially as you're trying to continue to, to build relationships. And a lot of those relationships have already have years of length, and you don't want to strain those relationships. No matter how long they are, they can be strained if, you know, some type of decision like that is made. Now, you're in Texas, Florida, Alabama, especially last year, Alabama, and, you know, you, you, you may take a kid that you don't see the progression that you, you wanted to see, that's fine. But in the state of Georgia, you can't do that. Yeah. And that's what sort of sucks about what's happening too, because they lost that whole evaluation period and that's tough for, for Jeff Collins and, and his staff because while some of them like coach Thacker and, and coach Knight and, you know, some of the other guys had experience recruiting Georgia, some of the other guys were newer to it and would kind of getting their feet wet and, starting to build good relationships and all that kind of goes out the window because you lose some of your momentum by not being able to go out in the spring and maybe you maybe really limited what you could do in the fall too. And that's tough, man. Like as you go from recruiting one part of the country to another, and I think that's why we've seen a little bit of falling back on some areas where these guys recruited before with some of these offers and some of the ones that seem maybe a little out of the blue. My theory is a little bit that they're relying back on some older connections here and finding kids that with people they trust, their opinions on high school coaches and so forth, and connections in areas. And that's why you've seen like the flood of offers in Texas, for example, um, that that maybe wouldn't have happened if the guys had gone out and been in Florida all of this month, like normal, right? Um, so it'll, it'll be interesting to see kind of what how that all plays out. They're doing a nice job uh, using Zoom and talking to coaches and that kind of thing. But uh, there's something about, like, if you've had a relationship with a guy for 20 years, um, how that can swing things in terms of recruiting. And that's hard to make up for sometimes. And that's going to definitely, um, if this gets into a situation where parents are relying more on high school coaches, that's a, that's a very interesting piece of all of this because, there's going to be just overall, no matter what, which way you cut it, the kids that are signing are going to spend less time on campus than they have in the past. Now, one of the advantages we'll check that is Jeff's been really aggressive with that status about having 
so many kids on campus early, right? You just talked about how they had one of their newer quarterback offers on campus a year ago. Like doing things like that is huge. And that's one of the benefits of their strategy. They had a lot of aggressive junior days where they had kids from across the country and that seven on sevens, they had camps, they had just a lot of visitors in general um, come through. So I think all of that's going to pay some dividends for Georgia tech as well. But the toughest part, part to me right now is if you are a new coach, like say you're Jeff Scott at South Florida or uh, your UGA just hired a new offensive coordinator. Those guys, that's tough, man, like to be thrown into this and you can't go out on the road. You can't meet your kids. And maybe you've had some visits, but probably not as much as you anticipated at this point. It'll be interesting to see what, um, how that changes, how those classes would look like. Right. And, I think you're going to see a situation where there's going to be a lot more kids staying in Florida, a lot more kids staying in Georgia than normally would. And that could be very much Georgia Tech's benefit if that's how it works out and Auburn and Clemson and places like that that are nearby where these kids have spent a lot of time versus their Dame or um, USC or whatever, pick uh, North Carolina, pick your whatever school is a little bit hot in recruiting right now um, or is a traditional power. Yeah, I think that that's the uh, that's kind of the way things are are trending, especially in the state of Georgia, with um, the two in-state schools kind of fighting it out for a lot of the top kids. Um, you know, Georgia's going to get their share, and it seems as if Georgia Tech's getting ready to start getting their share. And I think that you know, seeing the way that balances out, not just this year, but over the next several years. For as long as Smart and Collins are both, you know, where they are now, um, it'll be interesting to see how many kids they can get to stay in state. Because for so long, Paul Johnson was recruiting nationally, at least it seemed from an outsider's perspective, because he had to get players for the triple option. And Mark Rick, for so many years, recruited nationally that players in the state of Georgia began looking for other places to go to school. You had Clemson emerge. South Carolina has always been a, a hot spot for them. Alabama, LSU, even Florida right now has commitments from the state. And just seeing if the trend is going to start reverting back to them preferring to stay in state, not just because of what I just talked about, but also because of the circumstances going on around the, the world in terms of, you know, people wanting to be close to their family, like you were talking about earlier. Um Seeing what happens with that is going to be interesting for sure. Yeah, and um, what the other another kind of interesting subplot of all this that I thought about as well is how much more hands-on are these coaches going to be and the head coaches in terms of recruiting, right? So Jeff has many that that was sort of his I cut his teeth as a recruiting guy and with a lot of the pieces of things that he has to manage on a day-to-day basis kind of being out of the window. Uh, they're not really doing, you know, have to do bed checks and they don't have to do whatever. And there's not a lot of meetings. You're getting eight hours a week now on Zoom. Does that allow him to be more involved, hands-on in recruiting? Or Kirby Smart at Georgia, you mentioned, like, there were guys who were strong recruiters uh, in their day that maybe don't have – they have very specific tasks in recruiting typically. Are they going to be more hands-on now? Like – so that, that's something that could be interesting and could maybe sway some recruits going forward as well because those guys suddenly have a little more time available to, to work on those kinds of things and be a little more hands-on instead of focusing on so much day-to-day operational stuff. Or Mainly, too, a lot of times coaches have speaking engagements. They have to go to lunch with Booster or they have to go glad-hand somebody for the ADs raising money or whatever the thing might be. All that stuff's sort of out of the window right now. So do they use that additional time to, to be more aggressive with the, the key kind of targets and build those relationships? And is that a boost to the overall recruiting for teams that have strong head coaches with recruiting backgrounds? Yeah, I think, I think you hit the nail on the head there. I think that's exactly what I was, kind of what I was trying to say. And then really what I think about, you know, having the, the head coach that is a, a good recruiter and has a proven history as a recruiter and kind of how important that was for, Collins when he got the job originally and how he's been able to build a staff with, with Suttis and his recruiting staff and then 
you know, the on-field coaches and all of them having their, their significant strengths and their, you know, issues. But just seeing how that's going to work out, I guess we'll see over the next few years. Yeah, and I think it's going to be interesting to see what the lingering impacts of all this stuff is and um, if there will be NCAA changes going forward. I think, to me, the big X factor right now, looking at the whole landscape, Russell, is what happens with, uh, like, non-rev sports. Um, I think you could see a situation where there's they relax Title IX for a little bit, and they just don't play, and the kids stay on scholarship, but there's no seasons. It's cheaper to if you just take the travel out of it, um, not sending your cross country team somewhere, or you're swimming and diving, or whatever sport it is, or you go to you get rid of the the conference aspect of that, and you have like a swimming and diving meet, but the teams that are there are Georgia Southern, Georgia State, UGA, Auburn, or whatever Chattanooga, or whatever like. It's not ACC schools. It's whatever's in, like, day driving distance from you instead. And maybe there's no championships or something or it's modified. I think you're going to see a lot of that because there are a lot of schools that are going to be very cash-strapped just from talking to uh, people I know across the country. And if there's no football, it's going to be, like, all out on the dead either way. So uh, at that point, everybody's broke basically except for the couple of schools that have war chess and even they will be hurting. So, um, we are, this is a very complicated time right now, but I'm hopeful that they will figure something out for the fall. Um, I think there's ways to do football again. Um, it'll be a lot of, we'll probably ride on the NCAA in terms of, would they allow, will they allow them to sequester teams, to allow them to play, things like that, even if school's not open. Um, yeah, everyone says that school's got to be open for games to be played. I don't necessarily agree with that. You could have family allowed in the stadium and maybe some, like, media, and that's it, and play some games that way. That would be interesting. I, I just think there's several ways to, to do this if, they can't get to the point where you can have big crowds again. So, you know, it's going to be interesting. I um, I just want to see sports again, Russell. That's, uh, I'm I'm having a tough time. I I mean, I love watching old baseball, but uh, an old basketball game, I'll watch like, you know, the 1988 NBA finals or something with like the Lakers and Pistons. I'm cool with that, but, you know, I probably after a while, I'm a little sick of that, like, because I know what's going to happen, you know. Right. Watched the freaking 1982 World Series the other night between the Brewers and the Cardinals. Uh, so I'm okay with that, but most people aren't. When like, you know, the longer this goes on, this is going to be worse and worse for for the sport fan. Yeah, uh, especially those who um, watch sports all the time every day, like I do. Like, yeah. it's been a complete change in my household. My wife has more control over the TV now than she has in the first 10 years we've known each other combined. So I'm hoping <laughs> that all of these accumulated brownie points and everything will, will maybe help when sports come back. And, you know, we're on the road all the time. And, you know, we've got to pick it up and, and do things that we may not normally do, stuff like that. So. I mean, it's kind of just adjusting, you know, spending more time, like I said earlier, with the family. I, I watched a little bit of old sports. I know I'm, I'm really looking forward to that Michael Jordan documentary on Sunday night. Yeah, Sunday that comes out. That'll be that'll be interesting. Um, I'm, I'm on the LeBron bandwagon and everything, but I still want to hear more about, you know, Jordan because I was, I was just a kid back when he was in his prime. All right, so I will tell you this. LeBron is – not Michael Jordan doesn't compare in any way, shape, or form in terms of the difference between the two of them is gigantic if you watch the two of them play together. Michael Jordan played in an era where basically you got fouled on every play, what they would call a foul right now. Like, and he fouled people too, like he pushed off and things like All of the stuff that went on when Michael Jordan played is basically like illegal now in the NBA because they just want a fun and gun style game. Go watch, like, an old Jordan game. Like, it's kind of amazing to watch. I used to watch those games because 
Um, before the days when everything was on TV, you had uh, WGN, the Superstation in, in Chicago. So you got the Cubs, the Bulls, and some White Sox games. So I watched all of that, and it was in my prime kind of age, teen, early teen, teenager through through like co- uh, early college. So I watched a lot of Jordan playing, and I've seen LeBron a lot, and it's just night and day with Jordan. Jordan was like, he wanted to win more than breathing. And I think that's not, LeBron doesn't have that. Michael Jordan would like try to hustle you in pool or basketball or uh, cards or whatever he played you at baseball. Uh, LeBron, I just don't see as being that competitive, man, on the same level. LeBron's a better businessman, better marketer in some ways. Um, but Jordan, again, didn't have the tools that LeBron does to talk to people directly either to brand. Jordan was single-minded in his thing. LeBron seems like a much more interesting person. But to me, like, um, I go look at the teams he had, man. Like, LeBron played with much better people than than Jordan did. Jordan had Scottie Pippen and then, like, a bunch of, like, mediocre guys and average guys. Because every one of those guys, when they went to play in another team, sucked, basically. They played with them. They were, like, the only team to get Dennis Rodman to focus at the end of his career when he was kind of out of his mind. It's uh, – I just don't get these people that are like, oh, LeBron, 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 LeBron. Like, it's it's not, man. It's not the same. I don't know that LeBron's better than, like, Magic or Larry Bird either. And they played in a different era too. I, I, LeBron might average, like, 18 points a game in the, in the NBA in the 80s. You said 18 points a game? 18. Oh, man. This is, a, saying, this is a crazy take by Kelly Quinlan today. I'm telling you, man, LeBron LeBron was like, who'd be, I'm trying to think of like whose comparison would be in that like 1980s NBA. Cause this will, yeah, he does have a different style of game that would be kind of cool. But if you put Larry Bird in today's NBA, he would average like 40 points a game. So Jordan might average like 50. It's the way they call stuff now. Like, and I'm not joking. He'd be like that dude for the Suns that was like scoring 40 points a game a couple of years ago, like for because the team sucked. But like those Devin guys, Booker. yeah, Devin Booker. So like, that's the difference, man, between like what uh, things were like in the 80s or whatever. Now, like, it's just in and in the 90s when Jordan kind of dominated. It's just a totally different game, man. Like. There were people used to punch each other and not even get, like, thrown out of a game in the early 90s. Go watch, like, a Knicks game from, like, when Pat Riley was there. And it was like watching Georgia Tech basketball with Brian Gregory where they just pounded the ball. They'd throw the ball into Patrick Ewing. He would dribble it, like, four times, back his guy up, and then maybe, like, pass out. They'd run the clock down, and you'd see guys, like, elbowing each other in the face. And I mean, it was just a totally different animal than what it is now sort of like how football was different when people used to get speared you could hit like the people over the middle and stuff and people would stick them and go watch like a football game from the 70s it's insane compared to what goes on now it's tame now um in some ways just because of the the speed of the athletes gotten better but like the way people played was wild back in the day dude it sounds like it i just I'm curious to who you think is so much better that LeBron has had on his team than than, than uh, Michael Jordan did. LeBron had Dwayne Wade, Chris Bosh, the two Hall of Fame players playing with him. They won with the Heat, right? Okay. Uh, and then with the Cavaliers, he had Kevin Love. And I would say, who's the third best player on the team? Kyrie Irving? Yeah, I guess. Kyrie Irving was an all-star. Jordan never had more than, like, of course, Grant was sort of like – I don't think he was an all-star ever with Jordan. He was like their third best player. He was a guy that averaged like 15 and 8. And he was their third best. And then after that, the next best player was like – on the later teams was Ron Harper, who was averaging six points a game. You say six? Yeah. Six, nine points a game, something like that. It was less than – less than double figures most of those years. He was the point guard. He had been a guy that was an all-star that had bad knees. Um, Bill Cartwright was their center. 
go watch him. It's like comical, like how sort of bad he was. Like he's just an old man with bad knees running around, blocking shots from, and he didn't score much. I mean, we're getting off on a tangent here, but it's it's just laughable, man. Like you should go look at some of this stuff. It's pretty funny. Like just look at the stats alone; they're funny as hell. Like, um, I'll pull one up right now while we're talking. Is uh so Jordan's last championship before he retired the first time was 1992. So you had Jordan, Scottie Pippen. Scottie Pippen was the second best player on the team. He averaged 18.6 points a game, right? The next best player was Horace Grant. He averaged 13 and nine rebounds a game. And B.J. Armstrong was the point guard on those teams. He averaged 12 points a game as a three-point shooter. <clears throat> he dribbled the ball off and passed it to Jordan and Pippen, basically. Bill Carwright was their center. He averaged five points a game. He was the uh, fifth-leading scorer on the team, too, at 5.6 points per game. He was a starter. That is not, that's not ideal. No, so, like, I mean, it just shows you, like, how different – like, if you look at, like, the LeBron team, like, it's comical. Like, uh, the 16 team, which won the finals, right? You had one, two, three. Kyrie, love. She had LeBron averaged 25. Kyrie Irving averaged 20. Kevin Love averaged 16. Jarrah Smith averaged uh, 12 and a half. And then you had Tristan Thompson on the bench. It was better than anyone on those Bulls team, probably, other than Pippen and Jordan. So they have one, two, three, four, five guys that I would take over, like Horace Grant. That's a lot. Yeah. Like, hell, I might have taken Shump over some of those guys on the the Jordanaires, as uh, the Pistons used to call them, I think it was. They called them Michael Jordan and the Jordanaires. So that's a little different. I mean, the, the way teams win in the NBA now is totally different than it was. Um, but there were teams like sort of like the way the Warriors were. That's how the Boston Celtics were or um, the Lakers because you would have a big three. Like the Lakers had Kareem, Worthy, and, and uh, MJ. I mean, uh, yeah, um, Magic Johnson. And then they had Byron Scott. So they really had four all-star level guys. The Celtics had Bird, Magic, and uh, Bird, uh Parrish and McHale, and they had three guys that were really good, and then it kind of fell off. So it's just uh, it's a lot different, man. Like Jordan's thing was so much about him, um, so much about like the way that guy competed and played and stuff. And I didn't like the Bulls. That's like the funny part of the whole thing. I just watched their games because they're interesting. Uh, I was a Celtics fan, and then the team that I actually liked. Uh, the Western division was the Suns because uh, I like their style of play and I like Tom Chambers. You should go look up Tom Chambers, Russell. He uh, has one of the more famous dogs in NBA history. He's a six foot ten white guy. As one of the, the greatest. Uh huh. He's a all star many times, uh, big time scorer. Uh, played basically from like the early '80s all the way through probably the end of the '90s. The guy that averaged 20 points a game a whole bunch of times in his career. The legendary dunk on Mark Jackson? Yeah, I think that's the one. Wow. Yep. The guy from went to Utah. 1989. I was negative three years old. Yeah, 1989, uh, he averaged 27 points a game. He shot 50% from the field. Tom Chambers. Playing for the Phoenix Suns. While we're uh, going on tangents, have you seen this kid on on Twitter? Well, there's probably multiple of them now. um, It's tweeting out offers he gets in NCAA football and saying they're real. Yeah, there's one of those. There's a guy who's a fake quarterback from Cartersville High School. 
that uh, is tweeting out offers. He said he's going to release his top 10 tonight. I've actually just blocked him on Twitter because he's annoying me. Um, I had a 2026 kid follow me on Twitter the other day, which is pretty funny. <laughs> I was like, I almost sent you a screenshot because it was so funny. I was like, 2026. I was like doing the math in my head. I was like, wait a second. I was like, he's like in middle school. Like, There's probably some website out there that's got him rated as a four star. So maybe. But yeah, um, there's been a lot of insanity coming out of the woodwork lately. Um, we have a tremendous thread of uh, on the jackets online about crazy stuff we've seen during the uh, this whole whole situation. Fun uh, fun moments. So you should check that out when you get a chance. But yeah, um, there was something else I wanted to talk about, Russell. What was it before the we started the podcast? There were two things. Oh, the Zoom. Get back to the Zoom thing. Yeah. So uh, that's quite a long tangent. We just had on Michael Jordan and the Bulls. I'll leave it in. People enjoy hearing my ranting about Michael Jordan. They'll call me an idiot on uh, online for it. But uh, everyone has what's called uh, you know generation bias, like bias towards whatever era you were. So I like the music from the 80s and 90s. I like that era of baseball and basketball because that was my formative years when I was paying the most attention to it and absorbing it all, right? So I think that, to me, is better than what is now. And that's sort of what goes on. You um, see a lot of people, like, on our message boards that were in college or high school when, like, O'Leary was there, and they're very partial to that, or people that grew up with Paul Johnson are partial to that era, or people that are really older and were around for Coach Dodd or Pepper Rogers or any of those, those people have their biases towards those eras. So it's just the way we are. It's um, hard to compare over time, but it's not that hard with basketball because basketball is still basketball. And there's really not been – Jordan would have like 10 championships if he had not retired, like for whatever happened when his dad died. People say that it might have been gambling and then – the NBA coming down on him or whatever the conspiracy theories are there. But um, if he didn't miss those years in his prime, like there's no telling what would have happened because um, they were on a roll. And uh, really the team that would have given them the hardest time when they ever get to, got to play, which would have been uh, the Houston Rockets that had uh, Hakeem Olajuwon and Clyde Drexler. And uh, the father of Georgia Tech signee Tristan Maxwell, Mad Max, Vernon Maxwell, uh, back in the days of when uh, you could have, I guess Mad Max would have been like their fourth or fifth best player. The third best player is probably Otis Thorpe because they're power forward. There's some old time stuff where you can go look up Otis Thorpe. Uh, you get a chance, Russell. You'll enjoy that too. Uh, he used to wore uh, goggles. Him and Hakeem both wore goggles at times during their careers. Anyways, uh, back to the Zoom meeting thing. Um, so basically, they're going to have these meetings where they have Zoom. They can cut in. I guess they'll be able to coach them up, cut film in, and show it to them and stuff like that and break things down and break down. Luckily, Georgia Tech actually has spring practice footage to break down on, like, a lot of other teams uh, in pads. So they even have a few live. Uh, they did a hair of tackling. So they can show that stuff. And it'll be interesting. Uh, to me, like, where this is helpful if you're Georgia Tech or some other school um, that has a quarterback change or quarterback competition that's open right now, this is really big that your offensive coordinator, quarterback's coach, or both in most cases, can meet with these guys, work on stuff, um, give them things to think about, uh, plays to work on, things like that, technique stuff. Um, that's going to be huge. I don't know. What do you think about it? Yeah, I think I think you like you said it, it's going to be big. Um, it's a, a big step in the right direction. You know, the NCAA who is you know, crucified on a regular basis, um, both in this and the way that they handled the additional year of eligibility for spring sports athletes. Um, I feel like they they did both of them. They did they made the right decision on both of them. Um, in terms of the you know Zoom meetings and everything, there, there's no replication. 100% about the the meetings and about the 
sort of interpersonal conversations that, that happen when you're in the position room, you know, talking and going over film. But being able to do that, you know, the coaches can kind of share their screen on Zoom for those of you who aren't familiar with Zoom. And then from there, they can kind of, you know, highlight things and, and, and go back and forth. Um, being able to do that is, is, and just being innovative, you know, I'm sure that this could have been something that they may have thought about doing during spring break. This could have been something, you know, maybe during summer break, you know, that kind of stuff. And, you know, schools have probably been kind of thinking about ways to be more proactive in the case something like this happens. But then again, there were some schools that were so unprepared for it that, you know, some of them were just now starting to, to meet with their players on Zoom. And, and some are just now starting to you know, talk about the plans for the summer. Like the, the freshmen I've talked to, the incoming freshmen who didn't enroll early, they've been in regular communication with their coaches, having weekly one-to-ones with the position coaches, and just hearing that kind of stuff. It's been, it's been interesting, but at the same time, it's also been impressive because they've been able to have that, those conversations, have those relationships, and grow them, while at the same time, still being at home you know they can they can get their their meal plan in order they can get their workouts to an extent that you can do in a home gym in order and and all of that combined equals you know hopefully a season yeah and that's the 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 end point of all of this right like they want to get to where there is a season and right now that's all up in the air and we can just hope and pray that there is one. Um, I, you know, to me, I think it's going to be interesting to see what other rules get kind of bent around in all of this, along with the, the online, the virtual meeting with Zoom and that kind of stuff. And um, hopefully it's, you know, the beginning of what will constitute uh, a recovery period where we get back to, to what we all do best, right? I want to have fresh stuff to write about. You want to be able to cover active recruiting with kids actually taking visits and have something a little more to say about them. Um, and there's more just going on in general, right? The the tough part about all of this has just been the inability to tell some new stories, I guess. And I have some stuff up in my bag of tricks here as this continues to drag out that we'll be bringing out later. But I think it's going to be uh, a little bit longer before we get to normal. And so, you know, I, I'm curious to see how how this step evolves. It'll be interesting to see who's the most creative with their coaching stuff with Zoom, too. Like, who can come up with the, the coolest thing to do or who comes up with the coolest virtual visit or whatever it is. Like, that's going to be a really exciting piece of this. Yeah, and to see, you know, which school uh, basically emerge, not emerges on top, but emerges as a, a winner through this, whether it's, you know, having better evaluations in the 2021 class, having uh, earlier offers and earlier relationships built in the 2022 class, or, you know, having the stability of, knowing which five offensive linemen you would like to start in a perfect world come game one against Clemson, stuff like that. Those, that's what this time is about. It's not just about, you know, talking to the, the coaches, talking to the players and, and, and relationships. It's, you know, just about getting better. Well, on that note, I think we'll wrap things up. Russell, any final thoughts from you? Um, no, I think I think that kind of sums things up. I'm still a little bit flabbergasted by your, your Michael Jordan take, but we'll we'll roll with it. Though that LeBron would be like, you know, like the, he'd be like a borderline All Star uh, in the '80s and '90s. Yeah, he'd be that's... he'd be like, uh, I'm trying to think mm-hmm. like be like Fat Lever or like some like kind of guy that played like for the Mavericks, Mark Aguirre or something, like just kind of a average guy. Good had to go to college too, which would have been interesting. I think he was going to Duke, wasn't it? Isn't that where he wanted to go to school? Yeah, I believe so. So that could have been a whole other interesting subplot. Maybe that would have turned him into 
a little more of a killer instinct guy. The Duke guys tend to either do well or really stink in the NBA historically. So it's hit, very hit and mess with their kids. There's not a lot of middle ground guys. Um, yeah. There's not like – what's funny about Duke basketball is if you look, like they have had a lot of guys that had great careers and a lot of tremendous busts, several of which were drafted by the Atlanta Hawks. And um, I know. <laughs> Uh, you know, like, it's pretty funny when you go back and look at it, like how bad, like, Danny Ferry was in the NBA or, uh, um, God, Sheldon Williams. Is that the guy that the Hawks draft, one of the ones they drafted that sucked? You're, uh, you're opening old wounds there, Kelly. <laughs> well, the Hawks draft picks have just been horrible anyways. I mean, they did trade away Paul Gasol and however many other tremendous draft picks over the years, so. Uh, you know, it's uh, it's just the way of the world for the Hawks. Yeah, their time's coming. Goodness gracious, Trey Young will—he'll do anything to be on TV right now. Yeah, I'm not watching them play horse uh, like on a cell phone video. That's cool. No, no I haven't. I didn't watch that, and I also didn't watch the uh, the 2K tournament. I thought it was watched, interesting, but it, it looked like it was poorly executed. I watched like two minutes of that 2K thing, and I swear I could beat most of those guys like in 2K. Like, I was watching, I was like, they really are not very good at this. Like, it was like kind of okay. Um, maybe I needed to watch like whoever wanted or something. Maybe that would have like, uh, but the game that I watched, which was like, oh, God, who was it? I just remember it was two guys. That weren't playing with their teams, which about oh, it was Trey Young and um, oh god, who was the other guy? It was like a forward, um, Harrison whatever. Barnes? It might, yeah, it might, oh yeah, that's who it was. It was Harrison Barnes, and um, they both stunk, man. I was like, my, my son's like about that good at two K. Right. I was like, what is this? So, I don't know. Well, on that note, we'll uh, leave you. We'll be back soon with another Jackets Online podcast, and hopefully the Hawks won't dra- draft Sheldon Williams at number five again in the NBA draft anytime soon. Let's hope not. <laughs>